Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Marketing Agency Show, where we explore solutions to the biggest challenges faced by agencies. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for the Marketing Agency Show, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Brooke Sellis, and this is the show for agency owners and agency marketers. We explore the topics that no one else is talking about. So pull up a seat to the table and let's have a great conversation. Today, I'll be joined by Jake Bagsgard, who recently scaled his agency to $25 million using a specific framework that he's graciously sharing with us today. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow the show so you don't miss any of our future content. Let's transition over to this week's guest, Jake. To help explore the frontier of working at and growing agencies, here is this week's expert guide. Hey, today I am so excited to be joined by Jake Bagsgard. Jake is the founder and president of Disruptive Advertising, an entrepreneur at heart. Jake is a relationship first kind of guy, my kind of guy, who loves learning from other people's life experiences. Jake, welcome to the show. Brooke, we're going to have fun today. Oh, thank goodness. Because, you know, sometimes when we talk about advertising, it's not fun. But I know you're going to make it fun. Yep. <laughs> and I also know you're going to make owning your own agency fun, which I think is fun. But some people think we're crazy. So we'll get through all of that and more. But first things first, why did you decide to jump into the crazy fun world of entrepreneurship? You know, there's two experiences that come to mind. Number one, I was doing web analytics consulting at Adobe. And I looked at what they were paying me and I looked at what my billable hourly rate was. And I'm like, I ought to just freelance and bill at a higher rate and make more money. So that was kind of the first idea. And so then I ultimately did move to doing more freelance work. And I realized that when it came to web analytics, even if I gave companies great data, they still didn't know what to do with it. And the second thing was, is it wasn't scalable. I was like, I was doing everything myself. I didn't know where the next client was coming from. It felt like I either needed to become an agency or go find another job again. Yeah. Like I just kind of hit that point where I I had reached the limits of what uh, freelancing was doing for me. And so that's ultimately why I decided to jump in and just go for it on the agency side. So tell us a little bit about disruptive advertising and tell us what kind of clients you serve. I mean, everybody could use advertising, right? But kind of niche it down or give us an explanation of how it works in your world. Yeah, you bet. That's that's definitely evolved over the years, for sure, as well. We are, if not the one of the most awarded uh, agencies in the country and known specifically for our paid advertising online. Think like search advertising, social advertising, those types of things as well. But we actually are a, a full service performance marketing agency. And we really love working with businesses that are kind of in that five to $50 million sweet spot where they're looking for a strategic partner, not just specialty services. Those are the clients we love working with the most. I love that because that probably leads into those clients really appreciating that performance piece, like the analytics and telling them what to do with it versus them going, this is amazing. And then being like, I have no idea what to do with this. Right? 
Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so you've been able to scale your agency to a very nice, large agency. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to share with us what some of those key elements are to the framework that you used to scale to be so large. So for those of you who don't know Jake, or if you're listening or watching, he's been able to scale his agency to 25 million. So that's a huge number, right? A lot of us are just fighting to get to that first million, especially when we start out or in the first few years. So can you tell us how did you set on the path to make that happen and make it a thing? You know, it's always interesting when I get asked these types of questions, because the honest answer is, if I were to go back and give myself any advice, the only advice I'd give myself is all of it is what makes it fun. So just love all of it because you'll learn, you'll grow, you'll adapt, you'll, you'll find your way through. The fact that you don't know is what makes it like an adventure and a journey. And so like, just hang in there and enjoy the good times and like, let yourself feel the hard times too. I would call out a couple of things that I would say were pivotal in the path to growth. Because getting to that first million really becomes an exercise of how do I expand my skill set? But everything's still dependent on me as an individual. And that might be technology, that might be some team members, that might be whatever. But every, I am still like the central source. I am the sun that everything is orbiting around at that point, right? One of the biggest changes, and it took me a number of years to figure this out, was how to hand off sales. Because most people that start their own agency tend to be good at in their own way, getting clients. And that's why they have an agency to begin with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so the first thing was, how do I actually hand this off where someone can do a, a competent job of actually scaling sales without me needing to be involved in everything? My first run at that was just hiring expensive seasoned professionals mm -hmm. that I thought could just come in and do it for me. <laughs> magic. Yeah, magic. And, it, and they didn't work out. Honestly, it's probably my fault, not theirs. But what ended up being successful for me was actually having someone that was younger that I could just train, here's how I do it. And let me work with you and just slowly hand things off to you over the course of like a year, rather than just bringing someone on and hoping they could do it the way I would, in my mind, would hope they would do it. But they didn't know what was in my head. I didn't even know what was in my head half the time. So that was kind of like the first big step was, was handing that off. And there wasn't a quick fix. It was, it just took a little time and energy to, get some people up to speed and, and they could start to drive more sales than I could as an individual. So it let me start working on the business more than being stuck in the business all the time. And so that felt like a really major breakthrough in the earlier days. And then I took a little bit more of a, of a solopreneur route. I did have two original partners, but both did not last very long. The first, just a couple of months and the second, about a year. And so I was more on the solopreneur route. And the book that I would have encouraged my younger self to read was the book Attraction that talks about the system EOS. And I'm a great visionary. I love inspiring people. I love marketing strategy. I love all, all of the things marketing and growing a business. I'm not great at following through on all the details and making sure that everything's working and getting to the finish line. And, and in that book, that's where it started to help me realize, oh, I kind of need that counterbalance. We just were going on these cycles of Go hard and fast until we burn out. Yeah. And then feel sorry for ourselves for a little while. And then eventually pick ourselves up off the ground and go through the cycle again. 
Yes. No, I love it so much. Well, we talked on our pre-call a little bit about EOS because I love the book Traction and it did so much for me and my business as well. I, I wish I would have read it a lot sooner, like you said. But for the people who aren't familiar with EOS, can you just kind of explain very quickly, you know, what the system means, like the visionary and the integrator and all of those things? Yeah. So EOS, just so everyone is clear, it's entrepreneurial operating system and it's a framework to run a business. And so you go through an exercise of everything from our core values to what is our purpose, our cause, our passion. What are we going to be the best in the world at? What's our big 10-year goal? How do we break that down into a three-year goal, a one-year goal, differentiate ourselves? It really is a framework that just really helps you gain clarity on who we are as a business and where we're going, and then actually start breaking it down into what we refer to as quarterly rocks of like, hey, what needs to get done this quarter for us to accomplish our annual plan? And if we accomplish our annual plan, that moves us closer to our three-year and our 10-year target and those types of things. So that's kind of like the guts of it. But the part that was even more important for me was understanding that there really are two different skill sets that are needed in varying degrees in every business. And that is uh, the role of visionary and the role of integrator. And a visionary is, so, and that's what I relate to, is big ideas, big vision, and, and think of like, where are we going? Why does it matter? And why should I feel excited to go there? Like, that's the visionary. Yeah. The integrator says, awesome, and here's how we're actually going to do it. Okay. So for a few years, I actually found a coach that was a great counterpart for me to help balance my approach and my mindset, and that would kind of support me with the leadership team. And then over the last number of years, I actually brought someone on full time that now operates as the CEO of the agency that is the integrator that everyone, hey, I'm excited because Jake just got us all excited about where we're going. And then everyone looks at Heidi and says, hey, Heidi, how are we actually going <laughs> to, you know? Yeah. So those are that's what I would say is like the guts of, of EOS. I love that so much because in the book, which we'll make sure we, we get in the notes here on the show, but it, you can just look it up. It's Traction and it's Gene Wickman, right, is the author. Is it Wickman? I think it's Gene O. Wickman. Yeah. Gene O. Wickman. Okay. So they have the test like to see if you are the visionary or the integrator. And, you know, at the time I was doing everything for B-squared and I actually scored pretty good on the integrator test, but really, truly, I scored way better on the visionary test. And it makes all the difference when you have someone like us, who's like the move fast and break things person, <laughs> to have somebody that's coming up behind you being like, okay, don't look over here at the man behind the curtain breaking things. You know, here's how we're going to fix it and do it and make it actually happen all the time, every day, the same way. <laughs> yeah. You know, what? what's funny about that, Brooke, is I actually scored pretty high on both as well. And what I've learned is that actually enabled me to delay bringing on an integrator for the business because, because I was able to push it further without having that, that counterpart. Yeah. But I will tell you that it actually, I started to like the business less and less the bigger that it got mm -hmm. because it required that skill set in order to feel more sustainable and consistent. And so that's, that's where I'm like, oh, well, if you're pretty highly competent in both and it's like, I just want to be both. I just want to be the man for all of it. I actually found that I was liking my business less and less the more it grew because it required more integrator work the larger that it got. And so all of a sudden I started actually being the integrator for my business and I lost the passion and the energy that I, that I feel as more of a visionary entrepreneur. 
archetype. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I felt the same way. Like I started to get burnt out and then ended up bringing my husband on who scored very well as the integrator and all of a sudden you love my job again. So I think it's amazing that we have similar journeys. I'm sure people who are listening or watching also are having a similar journey. Even if you just like to read, check out the book because it, it's I think it's really interesting and it's a really great way to kind of frame things for your for your journey. So my next question is getting to such a substantial amount of revenue is got to be hard, right? We know that just getting any revenue in the door some years is is very hard. So can you share some of the challenges or obstacles that you faced as you were kind of navigating getting there and any like key piece of advice that you would give anybody about those challenges or obstacles? You know, what's funny, Brooke, this week we're actually having our 10-year birthday bash celebration. We've flown everyone in from all over the country. We're having a fun time and there's pictures up from all of like the last 10 years. So it's, it's kind of nostalgic. And so when you ask those questions, I'm like, oh, it's, a, it's just a timely week for me to already be thinking about those things. It's crazy to think it's been 10 years. It's felt like multiple lifetimes in that 10-year cycle, you know? Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> but in terms of client acquisition, there's a couple of ways that I've approached that. And I'm not even, I, don't, I couldn't even begin to assume that I know what's best for anyone. So I'll just tell you what I did and what I learned from it. And then everyone can take what they want from that. I will tell you the first year I signed up clients I had no business signing up because it was all just about how do I get revenue in the door? And I was kind of a hammer and a nail approach because regardless of what their business problem was, I'm like, if I can just improve your Google ads performance, that will solve all your business problems. And guess what? Brooke? Like <laughs> It just didn't work sometimes. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we adapted the offer. We started to refine who we wanted to go after. But the first five or six years of the business was a lot about growth for growth's sake. And so we had more client turnover than I would like to admit. We had more employee turnover than I would like to admit in that process as well. And it was kind of just because growing is fun and exciting. And it helps me feel like I matter. It helps me feel like I'm important. It helps me like not feel sad on the inside when we're growing on the outside. But then we actually got to the point where I'm like, it wasn't actually feeling, I wasn't feeling better on the inside and growing for growth's sake and getting any clients that we could get. I was like, oh, I thought I'd be happy when we hit 10, 15 million in revenue. And I'm like, I'm actually, I think I'm less happy. I was the most out of shape I'd ever been in my entire life physically. I was incredibly emotionally volatile and people described it in ways that I can't say on a podcast of like, Jake's got his ups and downs. And so we, we, we kind of know where he's going. Uh, emotionally volatile. I didn't feel like any spiritual connection either. I just felt kind of lonely and isolated. And that was when we started to say, hey, we've got to start making some changes. Now, I could get into some of the personal side of that. But as it relates to client acquisition, we had multiple points on the journey where we said, what industries are we actually successful in? And what size and stage of business are we most successful with? And that's changed multiple times because we were more specialty with paid ads on Google and social media. We actually started going larger and larger clients and had some multi-million dollar a month budgets to manage for some of our largest accounts. But actually, a lot of my team members didn't even love working on those ones because it was, hey, we just feel kind of like a cog in the wheel and a commoditized service. And even when we do great work, it doesn't feel like we move the needle. When we worked with proof of concept businesses that were just getting off the ground. 
yeah, maybe a couple out of 10 would be successful and we'd feel really good about it. But the other eight or nine were like a nightmare, right? They didn't have the budget, but they expected the world and those types of things as well. And we would still say yes and try to make it work. And I guarantee we never made money on them. If we ever had issues with billing or bad reviews or those types of things, that's always where it was coming from, which feels so personal and stressful as an agency owner. And so that's where we've kind of over time found our sweet spot where we've evolved our offering. And the thing that was the biggest catalyst was in uh, 2020 when COVID was happening to the world. We had lost about 10% of our revenue in a month which felt scary. But I grew up in a conservative household. We had a good profit margin to, it didn't even eat, it didn't even remove our profitability as an agency. And all of a sudden, a month in, I was like, this is going to be good for the agency. Like we're going to grow tremendously. Everyone's shifting their dollars to digital right now. And I was like, bummed. I was like, this feels really disappointing. And that feels really weird that I'm disappointed that this is going to grow the agency. And it's because we were still holding on to signing up clients that we shouldn't be signing up and grasping on and holding on to clients that we weren't loving working with. And that's when we really started to make some big decisions. And we've actually have a third, the number of the clients that we did in 2020 today while maintaining revenue. I will just tell you, it feels way better. Oh, I can only imagine. I mean, just watching your face as you tell the story, you can tell, right? Kind of the roller coaster that you were on. And it's so funny that you say this because it reminds me of two people who we've had on in the past. Samantha Stone talked about how important your ideal customer profile was. And that's kind of what I'm hearing you saying, right? Until you really nail that down and you're just growing for growing's sake, it's not going to be fun. And then the other person I'm thinking of is Tom Shapiro, who came on and talked about they cut 50% of their client base and then grew by 250% because they wanted to talk to a certain kind of client. So I feel like this is now the third person, if you've been listening or watching for any amount of time, who has said how important it is to understand who your customer, your ideal customer is, and to make sure that you're servicing that person if you want to have any kind of fun or growth. You also mentioned Heidi earlier, and I want to kind of go back on that and touch on your team, because obviously, as you grew, you had to grow the team. How does EOS or any kind of framework that you have support you finding the talent that's going to help you at the level that you're at and beyond? And then how do you make sure that you develop those people like you talked about training that first person one-on-one with you, but obviously you can't do that with everybody now. So how do you develop everybody and how do you retain your team as well? Let me piece my way through that. I have the advantage of hindsight right now, but figuring these things out is like a multi-year process. It didn't just happen overnight. Well, so hopefully this saves some people some time on that. We invest in a tool called Predictive Index. It's a personality and strengths assessment tool. And it's a little different and it's got a team building component that I really like and appreciate. There's a lot of free options out there that I think are helpful. I've just found this one is I would never hire anyone ever again for the rest of my life without using predictive index. Wow. Because we define the role first. And when you define the role and the type of actions that actually takes to be successful in the role, it actually matches to a, to a handful of personalities that will just naturally thrive in that role. So then when we're interviewing, part of the interviewing process is they actually take that assessment to just see if they're a good fit for the job, right? Because we all want to believe that we could be good at anything. But if you put someone that's very introverted in a position that requires them to be extroverted all the time, 
yeah, they can make it work for a while, but over time, that's just going to drain their energy. And if they can't show up and be themselves authentically in their role and be successful, it's just not a good fit. And we're not doing anyone favors by doing that. So the first thing I would say with Heidi and with every role in the company, and, and this is why I have, I work with Heidi and other good team members that help me because I'm, I'm like quick to jump the gun. And, <laughs> I like this person. Let's hire him. Let's bring him on board. Yeah. But then your batting average goes way down, your, you know, your success rate. So now that's the process that we go through. What's the role required to be successful? Are they actually just naturally inclined to be successful in that role? And then the interviewing actually becomes a lot more about, tell us about your experience. Let's make sure it's a good culture fit. But we actually know your core personality will actually work well in the role. That's the way that we make sure that we just hire better up front, which helps with all the other questions you ask in terms of training, developing, and, re- and retaining talent. Well, if you've got the right people in the right roles to begin with, all of those things become easier. You know, that, that's what we're working on there. And then I'm actually building out what I refer to as disruptive university, which is a lot of more of the training and development that, that not only does this agency is that I'll be making available to the public and other agencies and marketers in general, where a lot of these processes that we follow to help build culture, attract, retain, and develop top talent, all that program will actually be available probably by the end of this year, 2023, if not by the beginning of next year, and will be available as well. I love that you're doing that. I think it's sorely needed. And I also, I mean, I can't believe how much we covered, have in common. I've done predictive index and I love it. Well, I was going to ask you what you were. What did you, what was your top thing that you came out as? I'm a maverick. Oh, of course you are. I'm an altruist. <laughs> an altruist. Okay. Yes. That yeah. actually makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll make sure we link this too, because I'm sure now all of you are like, what do these roles mean? But maverick makes very good sense. And you know what I love that you were talking about is once you look at the team and where they sit, like on this like plot map. You can actually see where you're missing areas. So I did this for a board that I serve on, Best Buddies New Jersey, and we can see where we needed to add board members in because we were very clearly all around, you know, the outside and top of the map. But in the bottom lower left quadrant, we didn't have anyone. So we knew we needed to recruit for that type of role. Yeah, that's one of the features I love about Predictive Index is it just helps you really get great team dynamics and the right strengths in the table. Yeah. Love it so much. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Well, let's switch gears and talk about resources because I think resource allocation as an entrepreneur or a leader within your company is very important. How do you decide where to spend your time and resources, whether it be finances or team power or whatever it is? Is there anything that guides you in particular or any person that guides you in particular on that? The first thing that came to mind, we're actually kind of adapting currently, but for the longest time, financial resource allocation was simply allocated as a percentage of total revenue by department. And what what I've always liked about that is as revenue grows, then my marketing and sales team has more budget, which allows us to grow more. And it also kind of kept the finances easy. So that's where it's like, okay, if this is our target margin, and then this is the amount of revenue that we've got. And as we allocate that by percentage, it then allows the department heads to kind of just know if they're operating within budget or not. And then if they create excess, that's typically where we, you know, can have performance or we go on trips as companies together and those types of things as well. 
But I will tell you very recently, I went through a time allocation for myself personally. And I'll walk you through that exercise because it was surprisingly challenging <laughs> for me to do. I've always worked with some sort of coach or mentor uh, the whole way. I highly recommend that. And after working with them, I'm like, I can tell when you have an individual that understands who they are, what their strengths are and what their values are, and then they're operating in alignment with that, you still get all the feels and all the experiences that life has to offer, but you navigate it with a lot more inner peace. Okay. When I am not operating in alignment with who I am and my values, I might go through the same experiences, but the amount of turmoil and craziness going on in my head is like through the, is, is like off the chart. Yeah. So this is, this is going to sound super simple. And for some reason, it took me three weeks to pull this <laughs> off. I had to write down what are my top five priorities. And then when I finally wrote those top five priorities down, I actually sat down with my executive assistant and I said, I want to look at every hour of my week and see, is this aligned with my priorities? Okay. And in some ways it was, and I felt good about that. In other ways, it was not. And off the top of my head, I'll do my best to remember the five. The first one was, my, was myself. I am my first priority in my mind, my body, and my soul. Like, need to be nourished. Am I carving out the right amount of time for sleep? The right amount of time for physical, mental, and spiritual exercise? We'll just call them all exercise. So that was my number one. My number two was my family. Am I finding time to be present and connected with my family? Number three was my cause, not my job. What's the thing that I'm passionate about that I do even if I didn't get paid um, that I feel like is beyond just making money, even though it usually makes money. The fourth one is my job. And then the fifth one is my community. Wow. Okay. Like everything outside of that. So then I went and looked at my calendar and I'm like, I actually do a pretty good job of prioritizing my well-being. And that's what I would actually attribute most of the business growth to is, is my personal growth. I was not doing a great job of that necessarily with the family, but where it was the most lacking was spending my best time and energy on my cause, which is more disruptive university, versus on my job, which is disruptive advertising. And so it was kind of interesting to recalibrate my days and weekends and nights to say, like, does this reflect my priorities? And those were my top five. And so when I actually went through that exercise, I'm like, okay, it's time to just start making some adjustments. And that's where the first two hours of every day now, I actually work on my cause rather than my job. Then I give it my best energy rather than, you know, like the leftovers. And that's what I kept giving was like the leftovers to my family and the leftovers to the things I was most excited to work on. I love that so much. I'm totally doing that exercise. I've been this year, actually, I've been trying to understand where most of my time and energy has been spent. So when I am at my job, I've been tracking my hours but I like yours because that's very like work related. It's not necessarily cause related or personal or any of those other things. So I'm totally doing that. Thank you for that. <laughs> Let's talk about processes because as you grow and you get all these team members and all these things are happening, you have to have a process, right? People have to be able to follow some sort of re uh, repeatable process. You have to be able to transfer it from inside of Jake's head to Heidi's head or, you know, whomever on the team, however that works. How do you? as you get bigger and bigger, keep those processes working for you to scale with you or refine them or get rid of them? Like, what's your process around process? Yeah, you, just remember, you're asking the visionary the question <laughs> about process. And so in the EOS model, that, that's why I have great people to support on that. But in the EOS framework, there's actually what they refer to as the proven process, which is the simple three to seven steps that as an organization, we take customers from 
beginning to end of the relationship that everyone knows how we do that. Okay. So if you're looking for just some support to get started, I actually think in traction and in the EOS model, that is actually part of what you figure out. I actually think it should be reviewed on an annual basis. And so that's what we're doing. We're reviewing SOWs and how do the SOWs support the proven process? And are we over-investing in some of the areas that are not driving as much impact and those types of things as well? So typically once a year is when we're reviewing those types of things. When I was in charge of doing that, we were changing and reviewing them like every time I felt like it. <laughs> and in some ways, it was good to be dynamic. And then I also drove a lot of people crazy yeah, because I would change things too often as well. And but that is the framework that we use. And, and again, just, you know, uh, a point back to that EOS framework. I couldn't agree more. And yes, visionaries often drive people crazy. This is just what we do. So you can't fault yourself. They love us and they hate us at the same time. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so let's tie this all into what's happening right now, right? The marketing industry is kind of in a topsy-turvy world, right? We've had economic factors. We had COVID two years ago. We might have COVID again, according to some reports. We have the new advent of generative AI, which is kind of disrupting the space as well. So within all of the frameworks that we talked about that you have, how do you manage the craziness that's not Jake, that's the, you know, industry or the atmosphere or the economy. How do you manage all of that, that to stay ahead of marketing trends with what you do? I do ultimately believe that life reflects back to us what we believe and feel on the inside. For example, some people might see a recession as an opportunity because they're feeling that way on the inside of I'm ready to lean into challenges and work through those. And I see that as an opportunity to grow. While another person could see the exact same situation and say, this is just evidence that everything's going to fall apart because I feel like I'm falling apart on the inside. Okay. Now, to be fair, I feel both sides of that. That's just part of the human experience. And so one of our core values is actually inside out, because when we see the problem as out there, that thought is actually the problem. Right. And so we try to go in her and say, well, what is it that, that's going on on the inside? Because when I'm feeling balanced and centered on the inside, the only thing left to do is to take positive action. There's the only thing left to do. Once I'm centered on the inside, the only thing left to do is take positive action. And when I take positive action consistently, I win. That's it. And so that's the, the story I would tell myself, but then also holding space for, and it's not always that simple. And part of the, our human experience is experiencing you know, some of the challenges and the heartache and the stress and the maybe things are going to fall apart. And that's where I think it's just a good opportunity to practice an inside out approach. That is part of my daily practices to just remind myself of that, because then I go through the day and I, I forget just like the rest of us on a regular basis. But hey, anything that looks crazy on the outside actually only gets solved on the inside. And then we just start to see that around us. So that's how I would answer that. And so tell me this, when it comes to AI, right? Because I think I'm, a, I'm a leading from a positive space on the inside about AI, but a lot of people aren't. So how are y'all tackling AI as an agency, especially when it comes to advertising? Because the way I look at it is going to help us tremendously, but then some people feel like it's going to take our jobs. So I'm assuming y'all take a positive mindset, but how are you thinking inside and outside about AI? I think if I tell you the the... The opposite feelings that I experienced 
predominantly, I'm actually very excited about it because I don't love the idea of having a business where people pay us to push buttons that we don't need to push anymore. That's actually not exciting for me. I actually don't think that's exciting for anyone that works here. Right. The, this, where the scarcity comes up is, and if we don't figure that out soon enough, then we're going to be left holding the bag while everything else moves forward without us. And so there definitely is some urgency and sometimes some fear that comes up from that as well. But I will tell you that ultimately, as a marketer, I see marketing as three pillars that when you understand those and you understand them well, that's how you leverage and maximize AI and all of the tools that are coming out. And so the first one is, is the business strategy. Do I actually understand the business goal and why that's the business goal and believe that's the right business goal? And then if I do as a marketer, my job is to translate that into a marketing goal and strategy. And that's actually, that's very challenging for AI to, tra- to help leaders understand why is that your goal? Yeah. Right? Like, let's get to the right goal. And then I can translate that into the right marketing goal and strategy. The second one is the customer journey, the customer journey strategy of understanding the beginning to the end and delivering them the right experience. And then the data and measurement strategy is that third pillar, which is how are we going to measure each of those stages of the customer journey so that we know where the bucket's leaking and where where to focus our time and energy on what's going to make the biggest impact. And so I really think that a lot of the mundane busy work that we've been paid to do as agencies for the last decade. I am grateful that's going away. And I'm also a little nervous that I want to be one of the first ones to make the transition, not the last <laughs> one to make the transition. Yeah. And so we're taking more of a strategy focus in how we engage with our clients rather than more of a tactical approach to how we address working with our clients. And those are the three areas that we're focused on. Great answer yet again. So let's talk about rapid growth. You know, I think in my earlier days, I experienced this and then we got a little bit more strategic about our ICP and all the things that we've talked about. But rapid growth, everybody wants it, but it's scary, right? When you actually go through rapid growth, in my opinion, for me, at least, it was a very scary time. And in my opinion and in my experience, it also led to a little bit of instability, right? Because it was just a lot happening at one time. So how do you strike the balance between that ambitious growth that you have going on with the scary instability, things are a little bit crazy right now, part of growing so quickly? Well, I will tell you that this, these last 12 months have been really challenging for us as an agency, Brooke. It'll be, I believe, our first year ever as a, as a year-over-year net decline in revenue. Not a lot, but some. And I'm actually feeling pretty grateful for that because I know a lot that are struggling uh, far more than that as well. I just, I feel like I've experienced rapid growth. I've also experienced times of how do we grow to the next level? We're kind of stuck. And then even this last 12 months, whether we're technically in a, a macro recession or not, it's felt like that on the advertising side, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I will tell you, I prefer solving things when there's growth because there is a momentum and things catching up to growth. Now there's too much growth and things can fall apart and you can kill a business growing too fast. So everything in some level of uh, reasonableness, but there's good mojo when there's growth. There's reasons to figure it out, but reasons to figure it out so that the growth keeps happening versus, hey, there is no growth. Solving it from that angle, I, I actually, it's less fun. <laughs> And both are stressful. True. And so it's kind of like, I'd rather experience some stress growing uh, and figuring that out along the way than experiencing the stress of shrinking and trying to solve for that. You know, the things that we talked about, EOS, uh, a good ICP, good target client, getting really clear on those things, I think are the great ways to balance that growth. And frankly, to be more consistent in achieving growth as well. 
because there's more singular focus on what's working versus trying to chase every shiny object. Yeah, I, you approach it from that's a good problem to have mindset. That's what I heard you say, like, oh, that's a really good problem to have. We're growing way too fast. I'm going to solve this versus, oh, my God, we're not growing at all. This is stressful. How do I fix it? Well, we're shrinking. Yeah. 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 OK, so as you reflect on the last 10 years, this is kind of poetic that it's happening during your 10 year anniversary. I do have to say. So as you reflect on the last 10 years and on this journey that you've been on and that you'll continue to go on. What kind of legacy do you want to leave to aspire your team or the agency as a whole or other marketers to do? And what are some of the future goals that you have for your agency and for yourself in going forward? So my my passion project is called Disruptive University that will be live in the not too far distant future. But I believe there are three things that create an impactful marketing leader. And that is the the curriculum is built around that. The first one is for an individual to remember who they are, what their values are, and adapting and adjusting their environment to live in alignment with who they are. And so that's the first part of the legacy that I would like to leave is helping people remember that and live more in alignment with that because I've found it to be so helpful for myself personally. The second one is actually helping businesses do the same thing, remembering their why, who they are, what their values are, and operating their business in alignment with that. Because a lot of businesses start chasing things that they actually don't care about. And they wonder why they don't like their business anymore. They wonder why they're burnt out. And it's like, well, because you're not living in alignment with what your business is really here to to do. And then the third one is I am creating a foundation called Disruptive Caring, where where our profitability goes into that and helps support community projects and things that, that have been very impactful and opportunities that we create for people at the agency. So those are the things that I'm working on right now that, that are more legacy focused rather than just growing a business to grow a business. What a great, well, several things that you're working on. I'm excited to see Disruptive University and I'm really excited to hear more about Disruptive Caring, which we'll have to talk about maybe on another show. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom, really just being very upfront and honest about what you're doing, what you're doing with Disruptive Advertising and University and soon to be caring. Everyone will probably want to hear more like I do. So where can they find you? How can they connect with you? What's the best way to find out about all the cool things that you're working on? Yeah, the agency is disruptiveadvertising.com. Personally, just connect with me on LinkedIn, Jacob Badsgard. There's four A's in the last name, so you shouldn't have a hard time finding me. And then keep a lookout. We'll have a splash page on Disruptive University up in the next week or two. So if you want to go and get sneak peek access to what's coming out and early access to some of that content, you can go ahead and hop on there as well at disruptiveuniversity.com. Awesome. Jake, thank you so much for joining me today and to sharing your journey. And I can't wait to talk to you more about some of the things that you're doing. And until then, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Brooke. Thanks for listening. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, let your friends know about the show. I'm at Brooke Stellis on Instagram and Twitter. And for fun, make sure you tag at SM Examiner. Also, be sure to check out our other shows, the Social Media Marketing Podcast and the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. This brings us to the end of this week's Marketing Agency Show. We'll catch you next week as we explore the adventures of marketing agency life. The Marketing Agency Show is a production of Social Media Examiner.
Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.